2: is January 8th, 2023. I'm Lois Olson. This is The Sunday Take. We are one week in to a new state, a new leadership at the state in the means of DFL domination, and DFLers had a big week. We'll talk about that in The Take, but then we're going to check in on our cities, both Mayor Jacob Fry and Mayor Melvin Carter. What do they think the future of the city is this year? What's important They've both laid out
0: big plans. When we come back, the take of the week. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today.
2: On Monday of this week, Governor Tim Walls and the other constitutional officers were all sworn in again. The long-serving of the group, Steve Simon, the Secretary of State, who also had the greatest margin of victory in the state's election. So in the same week and the anniversary of January 6th and the election conspiracies, I think it's important that we think about what the voters said in Minnesota. They didn't buy what Republicans were selling. And ultimately, that's the Republicans' biggest challenge, is that the majority of voters are not buying what they are selling versus what DFLers sold in 2022. And I think that's what to watch for in this legislative session. Do Republicans have ideas that are that different than Democrats that can be sold for electoral success or momentum. Of course, there are many external pieces, but DFLers, starting with Governor Walls, talking about being big and bold and doing national TV again, or the legislative leaders who are introducing bills and promising a tax conformity bill in the first two weeks signed on the governor's desk, they are selling ideas. Ultimately, politics is about ideas. It's about how they impact people's lives. And whether you agree with DFLers or not, my sense is that the ideas that DFL has pushed this week from codifying abortion rights for women in Minnesota to legalizing cannabis are ideas that Minnesotans believe in and DFLers are selling them. Do Republicans have an alternative idea? Do they have an alternative product per se? I don't see one right now, but I I do see the voices of Republicans countering these, being against these, which I think is fair and part of the process and the debate. And by the way, it's also predictable. I don't have strong feelings on the legalization of cannabis. It doesn't matter to me in my life. And so, as I watch the debate, and as I call it, these shiny object issues that get attention, like cannabis or sports betting, I can't help but wonder, where are the different ideas from Republicans that are populist? Because ultimately, we are a populist state, and so in order to have success electorally, you need populist ideas. A few things to watch from this week are Governor Walls bouncing his step. It's different. And it should be, by the way. He has a legislature that will largely agree with him. He's energized. And after the four years he's had, divided legislature, of course, who wouldn't be energized if you weren't in his shoes? But then start to watch how quickly these big initiatives move for DFLers. Driver's license for all, an early push, and something that likely will pass this year, is not moving at the speed that activists want. And ultimately, it's the loudest activist voices that DFLers have the most to worry about. Meanwhile, the social security tax cut is something that was popular, agreed to last time, but now has some tension within the DFL. As these legislators start sprinting out of the blocks, watch the pace, watch the cadence, and watch the issues. Because there's no way the speed of the session can continue the way it did in the first week. I'm Blaise Hilson. When we come back, Mayor Jacob Fry on public safety and the revitalization of downtown Minneapolis. I'm Blois Olson. It's the Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. My first guest this week is Mayor Jacob Fry, the mayor of Minneapolis. We kick off this new year to kind of get a state of the city report from both mayors. Mayor, thanks for joining me.
3: Well, thank you for having me, Blois.
2: It's good to be here. Ran into you in the Skyway this week uh, as I was down hosting. You were getting your lunch, very healthy lunch. I might note you're, you still. I don't know when as you get older if you're going to start eating junk food or uh, stop running and looking like such a svelte man. But there is new energy. It's not what it was, but but there is energy in the Skyways during the week. Uh, as I think people are ready to start to be back in the office and be in the city. What That's are right. your thoughts?
3: That's right. I've never been so excited to wait on a long line to get a salad or a <laughs> slice of pizza or a drink. Um, I I do uh, partake in junk food uh, in, in addition to the salad and, and the veggies. And so, yeah, but you're absolutely right. Uh, there is an energy that we have not seen in a few years. We are Uh, seeing progress that is better than other cities of comparable size and scale. And granted, no, we're we're not back to the occupancy levels uh, of 2018 and 2019. And here's just the honest truth. We're not going to get back to that 100% mark because things have dramatically changed. And this whole concept of remote working, uh, was probably inevitable, but it got expedited by five to eight years by COVID-19. And we're going to have to accommodate, we're going to have to adjust, and we're going to not, we can't be afraid of leaning into the future here. And I think that's largely what's happening. And, and if, as you were walking through the skyways, there is a kind of activity, activity, especially on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Friday, admittedly, is kind of dead. I was just out there. Um, and I think that's as much a product of as people going out of town and deciding that they're going to work from home on that last day of the week as anything else.
2: Well, look, as an employer, I've dealt with summer Fridays for about twenty years, so uh, now we just have year-round Fridays. Um, you talk about comparing to other cities. Let's just pause there for a minute. How do you get that data? How do you talk to other mayors? Where, where do you, you know, where do you get your information from your peers? Because I think. One of the things Minnesotans and Minneapolitans and folks in the Twin Cities have said is we keep comparing ourselves, but this still feels so different for our community versus what it felt like before um, that maybe they don't believe it or the the numbers just they're they're tough to kind of compare to what was probably a, a different dynamic compared to your peers around the country. When you talk to other mayors, what do they say? What do they hear? What, what are they feeling in their core cities?
3: Comparison is really only important here for the sake of context. Yeah. Uh, it, it helps for people to understand that we're, we are very much all in this together. When I talk to mayors around the country, the issues that we're experiencing are not at all unique. Uh, we're not an exception to the rule in that sense. Um, you know, and when I say we're, we're doing better, Better does not mean great. Better does not mean everything is back to what it was in 2018 and 2019 and things are thriving and cooking. Uh, No, we are forever going to be changed by what happened these last few years. And, and, And part of that, I think, is good and necessary progress. A big part of it is we're having to adjust and rethink how, for instance, downtowns function, how retail functions, how economic inclusion works much faster than we otherwise would have. Uh, And so when I talk to other mayors in terms of retail, they're seeing the exact same thing in terms of occupancy and numbers downtown. Yes, they're seeing similar dynamics. And I think the cities that are going to succeed here in the next five and 10 and 20 years are the ones that embrace this moment and aren't clinging white knuckled to what once was. And I'll give you one example of that. You know, let's say hypothetically that we get back to 75 or 80 percent of people coming downtown into work physically on a daily basis, that still leaves a massive 20% of the square footage that will be underutilized. It's going to have to be repurposed in some form, whether that's to a different style of more open-ended cooperative style space that could be residential. And by the way, we should be converting some of this space to residential because if you look around the country, and if you look at neighborhoods even within Minneapolis that are really succeeding, they don't just have a lot of commercial space. They've got commercial, retail, entertainment, restaurant, and a ton of residential also. And so what that involves practically is shifting a large building from having a, a bunch of ba- of toilets in one room to a toilet in every room. That means shifting the plumbing and the electrical around, which is no small undertaking, but it's one that I think we're going to have to look at.
2: It's interesting you say it that way. As you look ahead to this year, I I think of two big issues that I know you've been on top of. One, you share with Mayor Carter and that you both found new police chiefs this past year and you're looking ahead on public safety. The other is this group you announced a few weeks ago about kind of this idea of looking at re- refreshing downtown or re-energizing or what does the future of downtown look like? What do you, what do you hope to see throughout this year on both public safety and downtown uh, revitalization?
3: Well, let's start with public safety. Yep. Uh, We are making some significant progress right now and the data proves that out. I agree. Uh, I'm someone that will acknowledge the data there have been times, especially over the last couple of years, where the, both the reality and the perception, let's be honest, has been bad, yep. at times really bad. Yep. Uh, and so when instances of people's perception being out of whack with that reality, we also have to acknowledge it. And the, the, the truth is that especially over these last three, four months, the numbers are getting drastically better. Um, as far as the year end, you know, we're around... uh, down in shootings, uh, 20% or so down in carjackings. I've got the exact numbers here. Let me give you so I'm not misquoting. 19% down in robberies and carjackings, 17% down in homicides, uh, 17% down also in gunshot victims. Um, And by the way, the vast majority of that decrease has taken place in just the last few months. Um, So if you compare these few months this year versus the same few months the previous year, we're definitely on the right trajectory. Are we there yet? Of course not. I think there's good reasons that we're seeing that trajectory and positive shift right now. One, we've got an Office of Community Safety set up, so we're starting to truly provide that comprehensive approach. Yes, police officers. Yes, mental health responders, social workers. We're matching that unique skill set with the unique experiences that are happening on the ground we brought in both a new commissioner to lead the Office of Community Safety and, and Cedric Alexander and a police chief in Brian O'Hara, uh, both of whom are, are working their tails off every single day to you know shift the culture of the police department and simultaneously drive down crime. Uh, and, and going into next year, I am optimistic that we're going to continue to drive down those numbers. And let's be real, we need to. So on safety, we're definitely headed in the right direction.
2: And this committee that you've, you've, gathered um, on business and redevelopment, re-energizing the commerce downtown or throughout the city. What do you expect from them?
3: I expect them to both give me what the data is showing and give us some clear recommendations as to how we can take the next step. You know, I can speculate Blois, as to what I think the best route and vision would be, but let's be real. No mayor is an expert in all of these areas. You got to trust the people that know what they're talking about. Um, I have a strong feeling, uh, based on what I'm seeing anecdotally and in data around the nation, that those neighborhoods that are successful, that those retail destinations that are successful, have a beautiful diversity of use all in one space. You know, we're seeing that right now in North Loop with a tremendous success, and, and they've got. This constant inflow and outflow of people through the space because people are doing some different things. Some people are working. Some people have the night shift. Some people are walking their dog. uh, Some people are going out for drinks and dinner. And when you have that inflow of people and that diversity of use, uh, you have a dynamic that leads to safer streets. You also create a dynamic it makes a city more vibrant people watching is better when you walk down the street it's not just one big vanilla conglomerate you can have four or five or eight different small and local joints that yep. add to an experience that people are now looking for and you know this Boyce, as well as i do which is that you know if, if you need basic goods and necessities you're going to shop online right now yep. know, buying underwear and t-shirts and socks <laughs> you're not going to go have a whole shopping experience to do it you're going to get it online Uh, But if you're looking for a shopping experience, you know, uh, a night out, an afternoon where you're hanging with your spouse or whatever, um, you want something fun, an experience to go to, a place to go grab a drink, another place to go shopping, um, all on that same block. And I think that's what we need to be pushing for right now. And it's a shift. It's a shift as to how things used to be.
2: One year ago, you uh, inherited a new council. You started your second term. Now, the council will be up again this year. Talk about the current council, how the relationship is with the current council, how it's gone, and what you expect kind of the issues to be that council members are talking about and energizing or discussing with voters this year.
3: Well, council slash mayoral relations over this last year have been a dramatic improvement from the previous term. Just to say it bluntly, I mean, we've got a wonderful relationship uh, with between my office and uh, council leadership and council president, Andrea Jenkins, council vice president, Linnea Palmisano. Um, I think the working relationship with so many on the council, even when there's disagreement, I think has been substantially better. There's marked improvement. Does that mean agreement all the time and unanimity? Of course not. It doesn't. You're always going to have this inevitable tension uh, between an executive branch and a legislature, that's part of the balance of powers. You, you need that. I think that's good for democracy. It's good for decision making. It also helps to sharpen sharpen your arguments a bit so that you actually know what you're talking about. Um, that's all a good thing. Uh, so no, I, I I think that we're on a a, a really nice path right now. And um, no, it's been it's been great to work with the council, even during some of the most difficult pieces.
2: As we wrap here. Um... You and Mayor Carter uh, have developed a unique relationship, and I'm going to talk to him next. Talk about what it means to have somebody probably on speed dial that you can compare notes to that you know is like that. Uh, and, and what, how, you, how the coordination or the, the synchronization has, has grown since you both became mayors.
3: I've had a long-standing relationship with Mayor Carter. We've got similar backgrounds going back to our track and field days. He was a sprinter and I was a distance runner. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we, we had very regular runs that we were going on for quite a while there, got a bit interrupted through COVID-19 and the pandemic, and we're going to be reinstituting those here um, in, uh, in this new year. Um, it's important, not just from a policy perspective, it's important not just from a cooperation perspective, which is what we like yeah. to frame the this, you know, cooperating, but also pushing each other to do better. Uh, it, it's important also from just a mental and personal perspective, because you can bounce ideas off of each other. Um, you can perhaps lament some of the more difficult issues that we go through um, as mayors. I mean, being a, a mayor especially a mayor of a large city right now is, is a tough job, um, not just in Minnesota, but nationwide. Uh, and having someone that you can talk to just across the river that is a stone's throw away and a speed dial from a discussion is, is really helpful, is really helpful. Um, and so, no, we've, we've had a really great relationship, a good camaraderie, and uh, no doubt that'll continue.
2: Well, when I have them on next, I'm gonna ask them all your secrets. So just so you're ready.
3: Yeah, no, he won't give them to you. That's 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 the deal. We know we uh when like I said, we 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 go on these runs which were as much therapy sessions as they were policy discussions. Um and uh no, it's um no, it's been a very important relationship, I think, among the most important of uh any position in the state.
2: Well, Mayor Fry, thanks for joining us on Sunday Take and uh I know we'll talk a lot this year. Thank you very much.
3: You got it. Thanks so much. Have a good one there, boys.
2: When we come back. Mayor Melvin Carter on what St. Paul faces this year and how these two cities work together. I'm Blois Olson. You're listening to the Sunday take on news talk, 830 WCCO. The final conversation this week on Sunday take is with St. Paul mayor, Melvin Carter, mayor. We just talked to mayor Fry and uh, you know, he told me some secrets about you. So I'm looking forward to hearing some secrets. Uh, absolutely. About I will absolutely reciprocate. No problem. Hey, um, You you guys have made some big news lately, and I think as we kick off 2023, you look at the state of our cities, our two big cities, uh, and the couple years you've been through from the pandemic to um, civil unrest to just kind of this reestablishing relationships, how are you feeling entering 2023 about the city of St. Paul?
4: You know, I'm still feeling really bullish about the city of St. Paul. We've obviously uh, taken some kind of real kind of setbacks over the last couple of years as long as, uh, you know, alongside the rest of the planet uh, through a pandemic, through civil unrest and through all these things. Uh, We're still here. We're still strong. Our community is still together. Uh, We have a lot to build on. Uh, We certainly, uh, I think, are at an intersection right now uh, where we have some really significant challenges to face. Uh, but also an enormous amount to build on uh, at the same time. So uh, we're really excited to keep going.
2: What do you think those big challenges are as you, you know, start looking with a vision towards the future of what you want the city to look like in a year or two years?
4: You know, that's that's an important question. And the truth is a lot of those challenges I think are more acute and maybe more obvious than ever, but I don't think they're really new challenges. Uh, We have a challenge around, you know, public safety, uh, which has always been the case. Uh, We're working, continue working to build that uh, kind of most comprehensive, coordinated and data-driven approach to public safety uh, that we've ever, that our city has ever endeavored. Uh, That continues to be important for us, and we're continuing to do that. Uh, We made some really good strides in 2022 to build upon. Uh, through creating our Office of Neighborhood Safety, uh, through uh, appointing Chief uh, Henry, uh, who's been a great champion uh, for this work. Uh, and in truth, we're seeing some uh, early indicators uh, that that work is uh, is is proving effective. So we're excited to kind of double down on some of those things. Uh, you mentioned sales tax earlier. Uh, yeah. And certainly the, st- the status, uh, the state of our public infrastructure is something that we really have to pay attention to. Uh, We've uh, I think our city has uh, endured uh, some real historic disinvestment in our streets uh, and uh, for 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 decades. uh, And it's pretty obvious. It's not a big secret that our streets could (laughs) use some love. Uh, You don't have to laugh when I say that.
2: Well, Um, no, no. You know, as as an original (laughs) St. Paul guy, Mayor, I I, when I drive in St. Paul now, I still you know, I still have romantic visions of the way the streets have been for years. And you talk about history, I can tell you about 25 years of history on driving on St. Paul Road. So that's right. No, that's And that's
4: important to note, is that for all of my life that I can remember, we've been complaining about the state of our roads. And so our goal with the sales tax proposal really is to do what we've never done before. And that's to tell folks, you know, like it or hate it, This is what it would take for us to significantly improve the state of our public streets. Uh, In my first year as mayor, we doubled our budget, our annual budget to repave, to just resurface our city streets. That was five years ago. And you can't even really tell, notice the difference going around. And part of the conversation around this is that to to really substantively repair our roads uh, from decades of disinvestment that we're now seeing today It's really not about a million dollars or a couple million dollars. What we need is the $30 million a year uh, that this sales tax proposal will will create for us. So those two, to me, uh, end up being kind of right at the core, uh, public safety and also our public infrastructure. Those are two things that are right at the core. The third thing that I'll say is that and that's continuing uh, to push on. Uh, further democratizing with a small, you know, lowercase, democratizing our local economy such that as our city grows, as our tax base grows, as more people move into our community and our local kind of uh, prosperity, our local economy expands, uh, it makes it easier for our residents to pay the rents, makes it easier for our residents to uh, access housing and some of those types of things. Uh, And so that's some of the work that we've led through our our newly established Office of Financial and empowerment and doubling down on that work is going to continue to be a priority.
2: Let's just, let's focus on that as the, that, you know, sales tax increase the request for it, but let's put it in perspective. So when you talk about $30 million per year, just for listeners to understand, because a lot of our listeners visit St. Paul, whether it's for a wild game or to go to the Capitol or, you know, one of their favorite restaurants or, you know, college or see friends. Put it in perspective, what is $30 million a year versus what it is now? And and why does that just change the entire conversation about what's possible on infrastructure in St. Paul?
4: Right, Um, lots of context. Uh, $30 million would be a one cent sales tax uh, or a 1% sales tax. So anytime we spend a dollar, that'd be an additional penny. Uh, One of the important things to note as folks uh, debate Uh, whether sales taxes are regressive or progressive tax. uh, Obviously, in Minnesota, um, food, you know, essential necessities like food and clothing are tax exempt. So that helps mitigate that. Uh, Obviously, our other option, because the city can't, you know, uh, an income tax isn't one of our options. Our other option is a property tax, which is regressive as well. Uh, And also, I'd say we do have a third option, which is continuing uh, the invisible tax of folks who get an axle broken or you have a flat tire in, in in a pothole. Uh, That's an invisible tax. It's probably the most regressive tax that we ought to be avoiding because, you know, when somebody has that broken tire, that broken axle, they got to figure out if they can afford to fix it. And if they can't, they end up missing work this week and maybe losing a job, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, So that's pretty important. The other piece, I think, about uh, sales tax and uh, it'll impact both our streets, but also our parks. Our streets and our parks are something of a reciprocal of one another. Uh, Everyone knows that our streets need some love. Uh, by, con- by, by contrast, everyone loves our parks, but maybe don't realize the extent to which uh, we're a decade or two away from kind of being in the same state of disrepair and disinvestment uh, if we don't make investments right now. And so, but when you look at both our streets and our parks, one of the things I have in common is they're not only used by St. Paul residents. A property tax would only be absorbed by St. Paul residents. A sales tax gives us the opportunity to invite uh, the folks from all around the metro area, all around the state, all around the country sometimes, frankly, uh, who use our, both our roads uh, and our parks to come and be a part of the solution of helping to, helping to establish it. For some context, um, when I told you I double, I've doubled the funding to repave our city streets, to resurface our city streets, Um, if I remember correctly, that was an investment of somewhere around about a million and a half dollars. Okay, So that was something like a million and a half dollars a year that doubled our investment to just resurface our city streets. That's not our whole street program. Um, But so to give you some context, a $30 million investment would be really enormous. Uh, We get what's called a a pavement condition index, index, a PCI report every year. Uh, and, you know, it's out of a scale of a, a hundred point scale. Uh, we're right around 50 right now for our arterial yeah. streets. We inherited streets uh, that we expect to have a 60 year lifespan that are currently on a 124 year replacement cycle. Uh, needless to say, that doesn't work out pretty really well for us. And so, <laughs> you know, we, we have to do something fundamentally different. Uh, playing around the edges won't won't improve this. Um, it, you know, anything short of, uh, you know, about, like I said, the 20 to $30 million range investment uh, will actually continue to go backwards on that pavement condition index. Um, this is the investment that's needed to bring us forward.
2: The other uh, topic I obviously want to talk about, but there's many. Um, uh, my guest is uh, Mayor Melvin Carter from St. Paul. Is this week, the city took kind of the next step in this reparations concept you have talk about what this most current step means is there a timeline to try to address reparations or come up with some sort of plan Um, because it is it is one of those things that I think people have started to grasp but like anything new they're always they always have questions or they're always like well what about this and what about that and what about that how do you see this playing out and And uh, and it really is, I would say, a national leader position for the city of St. Paul. So when when people are in that national leader position, they're they're learning things as they go.
4: Absolutely. You know, the first thing I'd say is it's not new. There's nothing new about the concept. It's actually one of the most well-established concepts in American law is that if there's a wrong, which we all agree that there's a wrong there, uh, if that wrong um uh inflicts an economic harm which we all you know all, all all reasonable thinkers would agree that yes there's a significant economic harm that's inflicted uh, that there's some effort to uh reverse that harm reverse the impact of that that's one of the most established concepts that we all understand and know really well uh the concept of reparations for american slavery is hard only because of the magnitude of the conversation. Only because uh, you know, as we start to um, as we start to try to quantify uh, what was taken and what is the economic value of the of 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 the hardship, uh, it becomes really staggering and really uh, breathtaking to the point where it becomes hard to even fathom how. Uh, something meaningful meaningful can be fielded. This is a part for me of a much broader body of work that I was just uh, uh, referring to uh, in our Office of Financial Empowerment. Uh, And the truth is the city council is taking the lead on the kind of reparations conversation. So I I appreciate them stepping forward and being a part of this work. I look forward to seeing kind of how uh, that'll move forward. You know, I I, I read on Twitter people going, well, there was never slavery in uh, Minnesota, uh, which actually is not accurate. Um, But, you know, I think uh, being able to document some of those things, being able to document the relationship uh, between the city Uh, The the benefit that the city has gained from that historic legacy uh, and being able to document kind of a a methodical approach to how we approach some of that uh, is going to be the work that's ahead of the city council and ahead of the commission that they just established. In the meantime, we're going to continue to push forward on the work that we're pushing forward on, uh, whether that's college savings accounts, our initiative to start every child born in our city with $50 in in college savings, uh, whether that's our our, our guaranteed income pilots that we've uh, been a national leader on. The first American city to use public dollars uh, for a um, for a city led um, uh, 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 guaranteed income pilot. Uh, And one of the things we're really most excited about uh, is our inheritance fund proposal, which the city council passed in our budget proposal this past year, which gives us the opportunity to look at uh, a much more recent um, and much more acute uh, economic hardship that was created as a result of public policy, uh, and that 's you and I talked extensively before about the legacy of Old Rondo in St yep. Paul, uh, wherein uh, seven hundred uh, property owners were displaced from their homes uh, to build the freeway. Um, we are uh, doing a, a a nationally unprecedented uh, journey to say to uh, descendants, low-income descendants of uh, families who lost properties so Old Rondo, to say here's literally a, up to a hundred thousand dollars in fully forgivable uh, loans uh, to purchase a home and become a homeowner. Uh, or if you're already a homeowner, here's up to eighty-five thousand dollars and again fully forgivable uh, funds over a period of fifteen years uh, to help renovate or improve an existing home. That's something that we're pretty excited about. Uh, that is that 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 all. Uh, kind of goes back right into that bucket right. of financial empowerment and help make sure that St. Paul residents, uh, you know, have a place to call home, uh, are able to build a financial future for themselves. And we're excited to see the impacts that we can have on everything from public safety to economic development in our community as we make that the case.
2: Someday, next time, not for media, but next time we see each other in person, uh, you know, my family was on the other end of 94 and I drove through St. Paul and Marshall uh, a couple of months ago, the whole mm-hmm. distance, right? Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how, wh- where you are in St. Paul is different, but the freeway went through the whole part. And I just, it was an observation from my family's house on Roblin, uh, you know, down by Cretan compared to right. Roblin down by the cathedral or the Capitol. So I just, yep. it's a reflective moment. As we got to wrap here, uh, just you picked a new police chief, Mayor Fry picked a police chief. Um, I think the difference was you, you picked somebody you probably knew pretty well. Um, and it goes back to kind of your family's roots in the department. Um, yep. uh, talk about going through a process where at the end of the day, you come up with somebody, you know, rather than, you know, an outsider. Well, look, from the
4: beginning, I pledged we were going to do a national search, and that's right. really important. We Everybody knows we have a history of uh, promoting uh, from within, uh, and there was an enormous uh, sort of pressure on me a year ago to say, oh, yeah, we're, it's going to be an internal uh, candidate. I, I think that would have robbed us of the opportunity that we have now. I mean, it's really incredible to be able to say but we did a national search, and four of the five finalists we identified came from within our St. Paul Police Department. And the, 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 the finalists that we ended up advancing and passing through the city council uh, and that our city really is excited about uh, came from right within. That speaks volumes about the St. Paul Police Department. I'll tell you, I'm excited about, um, one, I'll tell you, um, I didn't know coming in just how much time choosing a police chief was going <laughs> to occupy Uh, It was like a Senate confirmation hearing or something, you know, the the amount of research that we were doing and just trying to figure out, you know, the the way I approached it was I I didn't just want to know what was in the candidates talking points. I wanted to know what was sort of in their DNA. So we looked really far back in their history. And what we found when we looked through Chief uh, Henry's history is uh, we found him uh, leading the way on implementing body cameras in in St. Paul. We found him leading the way on what we call Blueprint for Safety, which is a fundamental transformation of the way, uh, really a national, uh, international case study uh, of uh, not just responding to, but helping to prevent uh, incidents of domestic domestic violence. Uh, Ultimately, As we think about the need to push to policing of the future, what we found is somebody who uh, has a dogmatic focus on, uh, you know, identifying uh, and, you know, studying data uh, and understanding how the data can lead us to being smarter tomorrow. Um, You know, our our perspective uh, with policing and everything else, uh, sometimes folks like to tell me the St. Paul Police Department is a great department, one of the best departments in the country or on the planet. And I agree completely. Uh, unless they're making that point to try to say that we're done learning or that we're done evolving, we're done improving. Uh, that's something that, that, that that's a notion that offends me, uh, because that's the opposite of greatness. And so, you know, what, what I found when I looked through chief Henry's history is somebody who has always been on the front cutting edge, who's always been pushing our police department, uh, to finding the next, the the next evolution of uh, what policing and public safety and relationships with community can be, Um, it of course, it didn't hurt that he graduated from Central High School. I'm a Central High grad. Yeah. Uh, it didn't hurt that his first job uh, uh, was working for Parks and Rec, and he worked his way up kind of through the city. Uh, it didn't hurt that he lives in the West 7th area and knows our city well as a resident as well. Uh, and so he feels like the perfect choice to lead us forward.
2: Mayor Carter, I want to thank you. We could talk for the whole hour, but, you know, Mayor Fry wanted his time today, too. So we'll. Yeah, you
4: never asked me the secrets.
2: Well, we you, got you got time. one. You got one.
4: Next time. I think we're out of time. Next time, yeah.
2: Okay, that sounds good. Mayor Carter, thanks for joining me on Sunday Take. I'm Blois Olson. Until next week, that's the Sunday Take.
0: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today.